read the Bible, is it capable of changing your mind? Is it capable of changing your opinion, right? As we spoke about before, if your God never disagrees with you, you're God, right? That you worship yourself. When we love God, when we love one another, unity follows. Unity follows. Why? Because the other things become negotiable if they truly are and abundantly clear because they're bathed in the light of Christ's love. Okay? That's why we sing to Jesus, praise to him, worship him, follow him. You're listening to audio from Forward Church in Irvine, California. We help people find hope in Jesus. For more information, please visit forwardchurchirvine.com. If you guys have your Bibles, I'd ask you to please turn to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 30. John chapter 10, we're going to read verses 1 through 30. If you don't have a Bible, follow up on the screen. We're going to pray and then we're going to get started. John chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who is not the owner of the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. A division occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many were saying, he has a demon or is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of of one demon possessed. The demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. When the Jews then gathered around him, And we're saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. 
but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eter- uh, and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these words are too precious, Lord. They are too holy. They are too wonderful. Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit to illuminate your word, that you would help us to understand what you're trying to tell us, how you want us to live, who you are and who we are. Lord, I pray that if we sought here downcast, that you would lift us up. Lord, and if we came with our head held high, looking down on others, that you would cast us down. Lord, we need humility, Lord. We need encouragement. We need conviction. Lord, we need salvation. Lord, I pray that you would be with us today as we examine this text and we, as we examine one of the identities you gave yourself, the Good Shepherd. Please be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, we concluded our uh, Frequently Asked Questions series last week, and so uh, we're just going to have a standalone sermon looking at this very famous text of Jesus Christ as he reveals himself as the Good Shepherd. Can you guys pl- please say, the Good Shepherd? Very good. Let's do it one more time. The Good Shepherd. God loves the Trinity, so let's say it one more time. The Good Shepherd. There we go. Now everyone's awake and paying attention. Very good. I'm happy to hear that. So I watched a movie earlier this week. The central plot hinged on the antagonist being presented as this nice, trustworthy, older, successful businessman. In fact, all of the people that worked around him trusted him so much and were like, can you help me with my business? He was an investor. Can you invest my money for me? Plot of the movie hinged when he was actually the villain. He was stealing everyone's money, Bernie Madoff style, to fund his own nefarious life. And so the protagonists of the movie were tricked by this thief or robber. When I was looking to propose to my wife, Nicole, this was now 12 years ago. I can't believe it. 12 years ago. Cue the mushy music. It was on Valentine's Day. I know, it's gross. I know. Please pray for me. And I think pray for her is what would be right. But I need to buy a ring. And buying a ring is like a rite of passage for any bachelor. I know we have some weddings coming up. I know, you know, there's uh, young people here who are thinking about getting married. But, you know, all of a sudden you get this crash course on a subject you never thought you'd have to study. Diamonds. So all of a sudden I'm learning up on diamonds. And I was like, I never thought I would would learn so much about diamonds. You know, uh, I didn't know anything about them heretofore. You know, so I learned about the four C's. I think it's uh, cut, color, clarity, and carrot. So guys, if you're taking notes, cut, color, clarity, and carrot. She'll appreciate it. Trust me, you, you want to start off on the right foot. But part of the search involved meeting a diamond dealer. I was looking for a good product and I found this diamond dealer and he's like, hey, let's meet at a Starbucks. And I was like, sure, that makes sense to, to go look at diamonds. So here I come and he takes out this little baggie and like with tissue paper 
and there's just loose diamonds there, and it was, you know, a lot of money worth, not needless to say. I brought some friends just in case something was about to go down. Long story short, it was legit. It was legit. Several of my friends ended up buying diamonds from this same guy because his product was so great. But during our transaction, he you know, presented me the GIA certifications that this diamond was the one that I was buying and that it was real. But you know, I was like, well, that's fine, but you could have laminated that yourself. I don't know anything about diamonds. So he's like, fine. So I call up a, uh, you know, a jeweler who had a gemologist on staff to verify it, and he verified it. And so I just wanted to find out if what I was, in fact, buying was the real thing, not a counterfeit or a cubic zirconia, even though they're cool too. Back when I was dating Nicole, we went to the fashion district in L.A. so we could buy some cool stuff at a low, low price. <laughs> it was there that I was first introduced to the tremendous world of fake designer brands, especially purses. You ladies know what I'm talking about. So you had Fosachi, uh, Louis Photon, you had Frada. And then and the rest, you know, some looked better than others, and some were very hard to tell the difference between the real thing. The only way to tell the difference between a counterfeit and the real deal for some of these was to do a very close inspection and to know something about designer handbags. And sometimes I've seen people even verify their purchases by calling the manufacturer with the serial number and make sure that it's sold and real. So it's a whole world that I do not know much about, but that I've only been around the side of. And this is South Orange County, so this is the world that we occupy. One of the big questions the Bible is trying to answer is the difference between the real and the counterfeit, the truth and the lie, the true prophet and the false prophet, the voice of God versus the voice of the devil. The Bible gives us several images to picture people walking on a path and something trying to guide them off the path. I don't know if that resonates with you, but I think about it all the time. Am I doing what I'm supposed to? Am I walking the right path? Am I leading my family right? Am I doing what God is pleased with? Today we're going to explore what it looks like to discern between the voice of God and other voices. We'll look at learning to follow the voice of God to salvation in green pastures as Jesus is our good shepherd. My big idea for today is Jesus is the good shepherd. Follow his voice and you won't be led astray. I'm going to repeat that again. Jesus is the good shepherd. Follow his voice and you won't be led astray. Today, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the door, we're going to talk about the thief, and we're going to talk about the shepherd. Again, we're going to talk about the door, we're going to talk about the thief, and we're going to talk about the shepherd. The door. Jesus begins with a story as he likes to do, or a parable as he calls it. Now, uh, a parable is a little story that teaches a big truth. Uh, parables are a very interesting type of subgenre. And you see them all throughout literature, and Jesus was a big fan of using them. But parables are not something to just understand. They're not just two plus two equals four, right? 
Parables are the kinds of stories to live in, to see through, to hear through. They are, I would describe it as like a marinade of a steak. (laughs) I know you guys are probably thinking, when is he done so I could get lunch? Well, you could visualize this now here. So, you know, when you're cooking some meat, if you want to have it flavor, you put it in a marinade. And what happens when it marinates? Well, it spends time in there. And all the flavors, the spices of the marinating permeate the steak so that when you grill it, uh, more flavor comes through. That's kind of how parables are. They're not something to get through. There's something to live in. There's something to marinate in. And much of Jesus Christ's teaching is like that. It is meant for meditation, to be living in, to pray through. The more time you spend in parables, the more application you'll see in your life of how to use the parables, about how they are a guide to walking in this world. He tells the story of a herd of sheep and the proper relationship of a shepherd to the sheep. He gives an image of a door, a shepherd, sheep, thieves and robbers, strangers, hired hands, wolves. And do you know what their response to the story is, this story by Jesus? We don't get it. (laughs) And if that's you today, when you read the Bible, you're like, they tell me this is an important book, but I don't get it. Why does something a Jewish guy did 2,000 years ago matter for me in 2022? Friend, you're in good company. There's lots of things that are confusing, but stick with it. Allow the scriptures to be the marinade of your life. It's not something to just understand like two plus two. It's something that fills your life and begins to change your perspective. So just like they don't get it, uh, sometimes we don't get it, and that's okay. (laughs) So many of us uh, uh, are like this or here today. We read the Bible. We come to church. Our mom or dad or grandma keep talking about Jesus in the Bible. We just don't understand them. You know, don't be discouraged. Listen to the voice of the teacher. And that's who Jesus is. He's our teacher. They called him rabbi, right? That was his vocation. Uh, Listen to the voice of Jesus. He begins to explain the parable. And he tells them, truly, truly, which is a way of saying, uh, pay attention. (laughs) That's what Jesus, when Jesus says, truly, truly, he says, pay attention. And so I know we are the most distracted generation in the world. You know, in the time of this sentence, you'll probably got 15 buzzes, Instagram notifications, emails, and you're thinking about, you know, whatever. And that's uh, part of the distraction of the world. A mature person learns how to prioritize what they should be attending to. So pay attention. Okay? So he tells them uh, in the image, he says that I am the door. I am the door. So in the parable, he says, there's a flock of sheep. There's a door to get into that stable of sheep. He says, I am that door, which begs the question, the door to what? (laughs) If Jesus is the door, you're like, well, where does that lead? And I think that's a sensible question that anyone could ask. Well, he tells us further. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Simply put, Jesus is the door to salvation. Heaven is the place where Jesus is, and Jesus is God. Of course, he is the door. The apostles teach it in this way. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, they say, And there is salvation in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Friends, the point of our faith is Jesus. This is the song that we play every week. This is, we look to Jesus, we come to Jesus, we walk with Jesus, we sing to Jesus, we follow Jesus, we can't stop saying his name. We are not theists, we are Christians. I'm going to say that again, we're not theists, we're Christians, we worship Jesus. God became flesh and dwelt among us. He had a name, God revealed himself. His name is Jesus. So we do worship God, but God's name is Jesus. That is how he's revealed himself. And this is becoming more and more and more important in a world full of counterfeits. We have to know what is true. More importantly, we have to know who is true, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus makes that point himself. He says, I'm the door. I'm the door. In making this reference as well, if you guys look at your Bible and look at the text, he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. So he talks about these group of individuals that came before him as thieves and robbers. And you're like, well, what is he making reference to? What thieves and robbers is Jesus talking about? Well, if you are familiar with the time period that Christ came in this world, part of the reason that there was these movements going on is reading prophecy, reading scripture, reading Daniel. The people were waiting for God's Messiah to come. They're like, he should be coming at this part, at this time. You know, in fact, when Jesus was born, right, the Magi came uh, to Herod and then the scribes said, yeah, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. So there was this messianic expectation that was going on. And the previous one was a revolutionary by the name of Simon Bar Kokhba. Uh, you know, he even had his own money printed and talked about the coming of the kingdom of God and that people need to worship God. In fact, he cleansed the temple. He had a band of followers. And do you know what happened? He was pr promising freedom from Roman oppression and that the kingdom of God would come. And it led to an armed revolt and doom read to an armed revolt and doom. So what Jesus is saying in this way is that his embodied life, death, resurrection, and teaching show us where true life and freedom is indeed. There's lots of voices right now, more than ever, telling you where life and purpose and meaning and freedom are. are, are. But if they're not saying Jesus at the end of that sentence, don't follow them. Don't believe them. Sure, it could be better policy for your life. That's all fine and good. But we live in an age that needs to hear this louder than ever. Political activism will not bring about the salvation you are seeking. Let me be a little more blunt. Trump won't get you there. DeSantis won't get you there. Biden won't get you there. Harris won't get you there. Conservative politicians won't get you there. Progressive politicians won't get you there. Social movements won't get you there. Jesus is calling us to downgrade our faith in men and upgrade our faith in him. Their voices may be loud, but his voice is true. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is calling us 
to downgrade our faith in men and upgrade our faith in him. Their voices may be loud, but his voice is true. You know, a commentator once said this, and it got to me thinking, conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit. Say that again. Conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit. You're going the same direction, just not going there at the same speed. Food for thought. But this is, Jesus is making reference to this because we have to understand that we're human beings. We live in a body. We live in, we live in a culture. We live in a state. And these types of subjects are important. These are the things that we think about or talk about. What Jesus is trying to have us do is not look down, but look up. Not look down, but look up, okay? So this type of thinking is applied to any other salvation scheme you see. And so many of us, we care not for the political, and we're like, it's a waste of time. But everyone's got a thing. Everyone's got a thing that they think will get them to heaven or a place of joy or meaning, satisfaction, purpose. If that thing is not Jesus, it's going to fail you. Just to name a few, just, just for fun, essential oils will not get you there. Whatever MLM you are part of that cultivates this asset will not get you there. It will just ruin your friendships because you're exploiting your friends and family. Self-improvement programs won't get you there. There's no way to raise a zombie except by the Son of God, right? No problem about self-improvement, upping your skills. That's perfectly fine if you watch, you know, a ton of these YouTube clips about how to, you know, crush it, how to become a millionaire. All fine and good, chew out the meat, spit up the bones, but it won't save you. It won't save you. Yoga won't save you. No matter how much your, uh, your chakras are aligned, you're still going to fall apart. Peloton won't save you. You know, no matter how, many, how much encouragement you get from those instructors and how many miles you ride, you're still going to get old. You're still going to get sick. You're still going to find trouble. It won't save you. Buddhism won't save you no, much, no matter how much you visualize that this is all an illusion. That power of visualization is not going to get you there. Islam won't get you there. Mormonism won't get you there. Trying to control what people do, what women do, what men do, how women dress, how men dress, how people act, it won't get you there. It's putting a Band-Aid on a, on a gunshot wound. All paths without Jesus ultimately just lead to death. I'm just telling you to save you time. All paths without Jesus lead to death. They will not take you to the pasture that you want to go to. They will not take you to the pasture that you want to go to. I'll even say it like this. If Jesus is not there, I don't want it. And may that be emblazoned on our hearts. If Jesus is not there, I don't want it. Jesus is the door. He, he who goes in will find pasture. He will find salvation. Jesus is the door. The thief. Jesus contrasts himself not with just thieves and robbers, as we mentioned before, which are, you know, 
uh, demagogues, political movements, social movements, different salvation schemas that say that they'll take you to the promised land, whatever it is. So he refers to those types of people, those types of movements as thieves and robbers. But then he contrasts himself with this image of the thief, the satanic force that is behind the thieves and robbers. And as is common in the words of Jesus Christ, he describes people not so much we like to like foist identities upon ourselves and say, oh, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I will affirm myself in the mirror. So that's all fine and good, but Jesus usually talks about people in terms of what they do. The, kind, the person you are is the things that you do. So that, that's how you know. So, so the Bible describes oftentimes, it doesn't say, there's this guy, he was a wise man, and then he did wise stuff. No, he did wise stuff, therefore he is a wise man. All right, do you see the difference? So he talks about this image of the thief. He says in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And then he contrasts himself, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is how you know the thief. The thief comes to do what? He comes to steal, he comes to kill, he comes to destroy. Unfortunately, though, many of us have been deceived into thinking that this description is about God or Jesus. Though we might not say it publicly, we are bound in a stronghold, a a pattern of thought that thinks, God wants to steal my time and money. That's why when the giving talk comes up, we clutch our wallet a little tighter. That's why when the volunteer person comes set, you say, I'm really busy. Because God wants to steal my time and money. God wants to kill my fun. God wants to kill my fun. There's all these things that I'm doing that I like. And if I were to follow Jesus, I don't, (laughs) I'm not going to have any fun anymore. So maybe I'll wait a while. Maybe I'll wait my whole life. And maybe on my deathbed, I'll be like, okay, cool. Pray to prayer. We think that God wants to destroy my joy. My friends, the devil's very tricky. He's smarter than you because he's managed to take the words that describe him and apply it to God. Unfortunately, what do people think of when they think about Christians? They think about killjoy, buzzkill, people that are always wagging the finger, telling him what to do. They have the image of what? The SNL church lady that's, she only tells you what's wrong with you right? How everything's not good enough. That's not the message of Christianity. That is full-time satanic propaganda that we have fallen for, especially us here in the West. Friend, God loves you and he wants you to thrive. God loves you and he wants you to thrive. The devil hates you. I'm going to say it again. The devil hates you. The devil hates you and he wants to Uh, steal, kill, and destroy you. He wants to take everything you have and only lead you to misery. How many documentaries do we have to watch about celebrities who have everything and then end up in rehab? And you're like, if only I had what they had, I'd do it right. No, he wouldn't. Don't be proud. Be humble. So the devil, he hates you. He wants to lead you to misery and destruction. The path that the thief offers is the promise of the world 
that only leads to misery and an empty soul. You know, you make all this money, right? Only to spend the extra on therapy. Say it again. You make all this money only to spend the extra on therapy. Nothing against therapy, but I think you get what I'm trying to say. Jesus makes this even clearer. He says that he came to give life and that you may have it abundantly. And so these verses are often misconstrued or misconstrained that talk about the prosperity gospel that say, you want to, you know, you pray this prayer, follow Jesus. He's going to give you lots of stuff and lots of money. That's just being worldly again. That doesn't mean heart transformation. So I like the way the ESV uh, study Bible commentary makes note on what does Jesus mean when he is talking about the abundant life. Jesus' promise of the abundant life, which begins already in the here and now, right, brings to mind the Old Testament prophecies about abundant blessing. Jesus calls his followers not to dour, lifeless, miserable existence that squashes human potential, but rather a rich, full, joyful life, one overflowing with meaningful activities under the personal favor and blessing of God and in continual fellowship with his people. So again, he calls his followers not to a dour, lifeless, miserable existence that squashes human potential, but rather to a rich, full, joyful one, overflowing with meaningful activities under the personal favor and blessing of God and in continual fellowship with his people. Build something. Take the step. Ask her out. Say yes. Start a family. Buy a home. Raise a family in Jesus' name. Have friends, have a life, travel, invest, live, live, live. That is what Jesus wants for you. He does not want you to be incapacitated by your sins in an endless cycle of negative pride that we call low self-esteem, where we think we're not good enough. He wants to free you, to give you dignity and life. In fact, that's what he died for. He wants you to go on his missionary adventures that as you go, what do you do? You make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Son, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that Jesus commanded to do. What does this look like as you go, inviting people to church, making friendships, praising Jesus, you know, doing the things he calls us to do? This is an amazing life. It is the best one there is. And you know what? You go to, uh, to sleep and your conscience is clear. The guilt is gone. And you wake up, those some days may be hard. They all seem to matter, right? I think the biggest problem is not hard days, but when we think our things we do don't matter. Many of us are stuck in this pattern of nihilism where we think our efforts, our prayers, Our labors, our sacrifices don't matter. My friend, God sees all and he is a rewarder of what is done in secret. I want to encourage you today. The devil is a liar and he hates you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come to give you life and give it abundantly. 
And that might not always mean you have a ton of stuff. And that might not always mean that you are doing well financially. And it doesn't always mean that you have perfect health, but it does mean that you have him. Amen? Okay. I spend a lot of time listening to philosophers and influencers and psychologists trying to describe the modern age. They talk about people being disconnected from one another and meaning. People are trapped in a joyless, meaningless nihilism. You could look up that word. It's a very important word for today's age, nihilism. And then you see the escape hatches or portals, trying to escape through Netflix, drugs, sex, hobbies. You notice that people are unable to sit with themselves in silence. They always need to have a podcast or music playing or someone there. We're unable to sit with ourselves in our thoughts or others. What what are coffee shops, right? They're places, they're public places where you go to be alone. Unable to sit with others and themselves without distraction. Unable to face the smallest type of crisis that you hear about people's problems. God bless them, you know, whatever you could handle, you could handle. But, you know, sometimes people freak out at the smallest things. We are a nation of bored and scared children. Bored and scared. Maybe better to say we are a nation of scared and dumb sheep. If only there's a path or a program one could follow with the help of others that could provide an antidote to the pain of modern life. If only I wish there was something that could help me, right? Friend, I just want to say this explicitly. You don't need more money. You don't need more sex. You don't need more power. You don't need more status. Nothing will fill your soul. Nothing will erase your guilt. Nothing will give you lasting satisfaction. You need salvation. You need Jesus. See, my friends, this is, this is the problem that we get stuck in. We think we could fix it. We think we could fix it. We think we could fix it. And I understand that there's a certain nobility in trying, but at a certain point, you cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself. You cannot fix that friend, right? You need to raise your hand and say, God, help me. You need humility. You need Jesus. Let's talk about the shepherd. Jesus uh, tells us that he is the good shepherd. I think in our discussion so far, we have at least, at the very least, unveiled a need for guidance. Do you guys see that? That we might need guidance, right? We might admit that we have a problem or that the world or that the culture, every man is a universe unto himself, I suppose. But we have a problem. At the very least, we might say, yeah, I could use some help. I could use some guidance, right? Okay. So our world is complicated to live through. It's almost as if we need some kind of shepherd of some kind, right? Our world is complicated. It's almost as if we need some kind of shepherd. Jesus reveals himself as the good shepherd. And I believe that he is explicitly, uh, explicitly evoking the image 
of the Lord as shepherd in Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 says this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Thank you, Sam. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So that sounds pretty good, right? You guys like that, right? You want a, you want a green pastures? I would too. Seeing sheep eat, that looks wonderful. Now next. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. So there's a comfort and a courage that comes with walking with the shepherd. Not just an easy life, but a capacity to walk through hard things. I fear no evil for your, your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the image that we should have our mind. It's, well, what does a life lived with Jesus look like? What, is a, what should I expect if you say, hey, trust Jesus. You know, he's going to be with you. He's going to fill you. What will that look like? It's going to look like that. That is something to put on your hearts that you might not always have everything. But my friend, you got here today. I think you have enough. He'll take care of you. He'll be with you. And in that, there's opportunity that we take and that, that's perfectly fine and good. Now, not only does Jesus promise to guide, protect, and provide, again, provide through the rough terrain of life, but even more than that, he does something that is completely unexpected. So it says, the Lord is my shepherd and he's going to do all this stuff. But Jesus isn't just the, the, the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And this is his goodness on display. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Not only does Jesus provide guidance and help and help and uh, hold us together, but he dies for us. That is why he's the good shepherd. That is why he's the good shepherd. He contrasts this image from the hired hand that runs away when the wolf comes to flee for their lives. You know, we've all probably, when we have hard moments in our life, we probably see who our real friends are, right? I think everyone has experienced that to a certain degree. When faced with difficult moments, there's people who leave because they don't want that negativity in their life. I'm glad that friendship meant so much. Right? And then there's people who draw near. That's the difference between those who are following the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. His followers are those when trouble comes, they draw near. They draw near. They don't run away. When wolves come, they draw near, they comfort and protect. Make no mistake, Christian, you are in danger from wolves. And wolves do two things, as, uh, as Jesus describes. They snatch and they scatter the flock. That is why isolation is so dangerous. That is when the wolf will come. That's what a predator does. That's what a predator does. What do they do? They try to get you away from your family, those people you know, the regular stuff, isolate you, and that's when they attack. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's how you recognize a wolf. What's the difference between a wolf and a sheep? I don't know. Is it a wolf in sheep's clothing? Are they coming into your world 
that's full of health and life and vitality and are becoming enmeshed with that and new vistas? Are they trying to isolate you so they can bite down? And what happens? Scatter you. So that's what wolves do. Jesus and his true under-shepherds protect the flock from the attack of wolves. How? Through self-sacrifice and love. So you're like, well, how do I tell Jesus and his under-shepherds, the good shepherds and his under-shepherds, how do I know what's real or fake? How do I know when someone's following Christ? Hey, are they they moving forward in life through self-sacrifice and love? Do they stick around? Are they there? Are they accessible? That's how you know. That's how you know. That's how you know what kind of identity they have or who is their master. Jesus then describes the sheep that are not yet a part of his fold. Friends, that's us. That's us. He was talking about particularly about the children of Israel and he gives this amazing promise to us. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they'll hear my voice and they'll become one flock with one shepherd. Amazing. Amazing. That God would on his time on earth care about you and me. People who were not born as children of Abraham, but were made children of Abraham through faith. Amazing that God loves us, that he has a plan to save the world and do what? Bring freedom and unity, not under a tyrant, but of someone. How do you, (laughs) Jesus is powerful because he gives his power away. And that's how you know his servants. Because what do they do when they get power authority? All they try to do is lift others up. Oh, that's all they try to do. How do you beat a king like that? How do you beat a shepherd like that? You can't. You can't. This is about the Christ's work to bring the gospel to the nations through the church, the hands and feet of Christ, that one flock where we all see a little microcosm of that in churches. I'm I'm looking out. I see a lot of different colored faces. I do. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. God loves all people, all nations, and wants them to be together. Praise God for that. Not in some type of hokey way, but in a true way where strangers become family. Again, Jesus loves you. The devil hates you. Why do I say that? Because upon hearing these words, people began to think something very strange. And this is usually the way it works. Whenever someone talks about Jesus being like a nice guy, right? If they're like, yeah, Jesus is a nice guy. I'm like, that's really sweet that you think so, right? That's really sweet that you think so. But it signals to me that you probably don't read the Bible. You might be a Christian, but when you read the gospels, you do not walk away with, Jesus is just a really sweet guy, right? And so that, that's fine if you think so, but, you know, it might be good to start reading your Bible, and I think it will help you. Jesus is kind. It's not nice, right? People who are nice, is, they don't want to help you. Like, uh, oh, how are you doing? My life is falling apart. Oh, okay, sounds good. That's <laughs> nice. Jesus is kind. He might say a hard thing, a rough thing, a true thing, but because he loves you, not because he wants to massage your ears or puff up your ego, right? If your God never disagrees with you, you worship yourself. If your God 
never disagrees with you. You worship yourself. I'll just leave that there. Now, Jesus loves you. The devil hates you. After all this, the crowds are divided and confused. And there's two camps, one and a half camps, or I don't know, maybe three. You'll understand what I mean in a sec. They're like, Jesus, this good shepherd talk, he's got a demon. (laughs) I was like, wow, how did you get that from there? But some people are like, yep, he's got a demon. So those are the, let's say, you know, more mystical folks, more, let's say, more spiritual folks, more spiritual folks. He's got a demon. The more scientific folks is like, no, he crazy. (laughs) Because they're like, he's got a demon or he's insane. So everything that we just talked about, the crowd said, he's got a demon, he's insane. And then there was another group. They're like, well, and they're like, why would you listen to a crazy person? Great question. Why would you listen to someone with a demon? Also a good question. That's the question they're asking. Others say, so this is the third party, you know, they're like, well, surely someone who is demon-possessed could not open the eyes of the blind. And that is a very important reference because it says that God, Yahweh, is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. So remember Jesus, right? His identity, and he's going to make mention of this, bear witness based on the type of works that he's doing. So who, who opens the eyes of the blind? Well, God does. So who's Jesus, right? Gives a little testimony. That's what people are questioning in their minds. They're not quite there. So I want to talk about asking the question. The people are done with this. Jesus' teaching at the temple as was his way at the portico of Solomon. And they come to him and finally ask the question. They're like, we're on the edge of our seats. We've read the prophets. We know that the Messiah is supposed to be coming. It wasn't Simon. It wasn't the guys before. Tell us, is it you? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one that we back to get the Roman boot off our neck, right? Is this what we're doing? Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised king? Are you the chosen one? Are you the one who will take us to the green pastures? Stop telling us parables. Tell us clearly. We're done with your little stories. Tell us clearly. Is it you? Jesus replies, very interesting. He said to the people, I told you, but you don't believe. My works told you, but you don't believe. He says the following. I'll read it very clearly. I told you, and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify of me. So he said, there's two witnesses. I said I was, and look at me and the things I'm doing. That also says I'm the Messiah. And you don't believe. He tells them that their problem in their ability to discern whether or not he is the true Messiah is not a problem of unbelief, but rather a problem that they are not part of the flock. He tells them further. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. So this begs the question, Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you gone through the door? Will you find salvation? Will you find green pastures? The words of Jesus are very interesting. He says, the reason you don't don't hear me, 
You're not part of my flock. And then Jesus tells us, and as we know, he tells us what it means to be part of his flock. I want to read it here. This is uh, John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them from my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. This is the description of the sheep of Christ's flock. I want all of us to look at this, this description of Christ's words here. If we're struggling in our faith or if our faith is strong, I want us to understand what it means to hear the voice of God. The sheep of Christ's flock, number one, they hear his voice. They hear his voice. The sheep of Christ's flock hear his voice. You could say, am I a sheep in Christ's flock? I don't know. Do you hear his voice? Do you read the Bible? Do you go to church? Do you hear the preached word? Right? Next, they are known by Jesus. They are known by Jesus. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Have you made a personal and public decision to follow Christ? Is there a personal relationship with Jesus? My friends, have you made a personal and public decision to follow Christ? That's what we show through water baptism, that I have decided to let the world know. That's my public decision or public proclamation of my personal decision to pledge my allegiance to King Jesus. I want to be a flock under that shepherd. I want him to be my king. I repent of my sins. I ask him to enter my life. Have you done that? You can do that today. Next, they follow Jesus. Do you do what the Bible says? When wrong, do you repent? Are you open to correction? Is God's word the authority in your life? Friends, this one is super duper practical and important. I want to tell you how, just even in a small way, right? Most of you, if you're not married, will get married. Some of you are married. And what will happen is when a sinner marries a sinner, what do they do against each other? They sin against each other, right? And if they have nothing above them, if it's just them two, if it's just the relationship, They have no common ground to stand on. If God is not the one who's in charge of them both, then the relationship will crumble. It will crumble because, hey, you're not meeting your end of the bargain. I'm out, right? Versus we both made promises. We are both accountable to God's word. We both have agreement to what sin is and what sin is not. So we stand under God's authority together. And that is where we find unity. So on this practical note of the sheep of Jesus following him, he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, right? They follow me. If someone comes to you or you come to someone and you read the Bible, is it capable of changing your mind? Is it capable of changing your opinion, right? As we spoke about before, if your God never disagrees with you, you're God, (laughs) right? That you worship yourself. Now, uh, next, you gain eternal life. Jesus says it like this, and I give eternal life to them. 
I give eternal life? Have you experienced the forgiveness of Christ and the peace that comes with that? Or are you racked by guilt? Are you trying to atone for that which you did? And guilt is very, very powerful, friends. It's very something hard to live with. Have you confessed your sins to Jesus? Have you trusted that he will save you? Don't let your worst day define you. Let Jesus define you. I'd say like this. Don't let your worst day define you. Let Jesus define your worst day. You gain eternal life. Next. You have hope. He says they will never perish. Have you experienced the hope of the resurrection of the dead? This is why the Apostle Paul says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We do have a hope that those who have died in the Lord, we will see again and be reunited with them. That the worst thing this world can do is kill our bodies, but they will never kill our souls. We will live with Christ forever. We will be with him forever. We will enjoy his grace and splendor and goodness forever. If we're going through a hard time now, it's only a matter of time. You have hope. You have assurance. He says that they will never perish and no one is able to snatch them from his hand. No one means no one. No one can snatch you out of God's hand. No one. Not the devil. Not yourself. No one. No angels, powers, principalities. If God is holding you, his grip is sure. And let that be an encouragement. It's not that that Jesus is this limp-wristed hippie. Think of an image of a father holding his child. His hands are strong. They're powerful. They made the world. They're capable of holding you and your life together. And even if you try to squirm out in your arrogance uh, or in your rebellion, God will win you with his love. They have assurance. No one can snatch you out of God's hand. And they have unity. If you and you're like, well, where's this unity bit? He says, my, fa- uh, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I am the father or one. This is talking about the New Testament image of union with Christ. This is what Christ prays in the high priestly prayer that eternal life is to know God. That eternal life is to know the Son, is the Father and the Son who He has sent to experience that intimacy, that fellowship, that union with God, that unity that we experience together, where we come together with the source of all life, the source of all being, the source of all meaning. And the only thing we can do in those moments is worship. This is what Christ is talking about. This is what it means to be a sheep in Christ's flock, that we have. You know how Christians get unity? It's not agreeing by this or that. It's by looking to Christ and unity flows from him. Say that again. When we look to Christ, when we love God, when we love one another, unity follows. Unity follows. Why? Because the other things become negotiable if they truly are and abundantly clear because they're bathed in the light of Christ's love. Okay? That's why we sing to Jesus, praise to him, worship him, follow him. You cannot have the benefits of a life with Jesus by living a life without Jesus. I'm going to say that again. That that list sounded pretty good, right? You know, assurance, hope, 
uh, you know, knowing stuff, green pastures, I like that, you know, living that life. You cannot have the benefits of a life with Jesus, or uh, you cannot have the benefits of a life with Jesus by living a life without Jesus. And that's, that's why we make Christ so explicit, guys. It's not just that you would have good values, no problem with good values, but they don't save you or resurrect you. God does. And so what do we bring God? What what do we bring God? Well, we bring him three things. We bring him our sin. We bring him our sin, right? Say, God, forgive me. I've missed the mark. I've tried to build my own kingdom. I followed foolishly after robbers and thieves. I have nothing left. I have no money that I might give. God, uh, I bring you my sin. And Jesus says, you know what? That's perfect. That's what I want. Give that to me. We bring Jesus our good works because God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Jesus, all that I am, all that I am, it's shot through. It's imperfect. I'm not scoring brownie points from you. This is an act of worship, and I bring those, and I lay them at your feet for because they're for you. They're for you. You could do it better, but I'm trying as hard as I can. Accept those because they're done in your name. So we bring Jesus our sin. We bring Jesus our good works. And you know what that results in? We bring Jesus our very selves. That's, that's what we bring to Jesus. We bring him our very, our very self. Jesus calls us to belong to believe. We need to hear his voice today to avoid the counterfeits who will say, you want independence? You want freedom? Well, take my five-week class and I will show you through a lot of time how you could become better than other people. <laughs> and it's like, I'll buy that all day because there's no greater feeling than feeling better than others. So my friends, I want to close with this quote from uh, G.K. Chesterton. He says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. <laughs> Say that again. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Much of what Jesus has to say is for us to think about, to marinate in, to live through. He is our good shepherd, and we know he's our good shepherd. We have a reminder that he died for our sins in our place, so we know we could trust him. When hard times come, when, wolf come, when wolves come, what does Jesus do? He stands in the gap, and he fights that battle. Right? He helps us. He's here with us. I'd like to just close by reading Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. And uh, as Roman puts it on the screen, I would like uh, everyone to stand. And I would like us to read this together. Okay? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we ask that you would be our shepherd. Lord, I ask that we would be your sheep. Lord, that we would be the kind of people who hear your voice in a nation full of noise, in a world full of noise, that your voice would cut through all of that. That we would take this time on Sunday when we're at your church to hear your gospel preached, Lord. I pray that you would change us from the inside out, Lord. If anyone here does not know you, Lord, I pray that you would help them to make that decision, Lord, to repent of their sins, to put their faith in you, to trust you. Lord, pray for those of us who have been following you to continue doing so. Lord, if we feel discouraged, Lord, or if we have been ravaged by wolves, Lord, in our life, I pray that you would provide healing. Lord, for those who are tired, I pray that we would find comfort, Lord. And I pray that you would grow our faith, that we would trust you in your leadership in our life, that we would keep on being your sheep, that we would follow your voice, that we would turn down the voices of this world and turn up your voice. Lord, we need you. We need your love in our life, Lord. We need your power. We need your spirit, Lord. We ask, Lord, as a people, that you forgive us of our sins individually and that you forgive us of our sins corporately, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for the things we did wrong. And Lord, forgive us for the things that we didn't do right. Lord, I pray is that we continue to praise your name and lift you up. You and your kindness would give us a sense of peace, a sense of lightness, a sense of forgiving, a sense of a new start, Lord. That our covenant with you would feel as if it's been renewed, Lord. Lord, you love us, and we know that because you died for us. Please be with us, empower our praise, that we would be able to sing loud, that we would be able to sing strong, that we would declare the praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio content from Forward Church. We hope you were encouraged and are cheering you on as you follow Jesus. For more information, please visit forwardchurchirvine.com.